Let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and look at um, the scriptures that Tim read for us earlier, 1 through 9. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who is present and lowly among you, but being absent, I am bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. Uh, For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And the title of our message this morning is Taking, Bringing Every Thought into Captivity to the Obedience of Christ and Being Ready to Punish All Disobedience When Your Obedience is Fulfilled. Do not look at things according to the outward appearance. If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is in Christ, even so we are in Christ. For even if I should boast somewhat about our authority, which the Lord gave us for the edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. Now what Paul is addressing here is he got good news from Titus that when he wrote a very strongly worded letter against the sexual immorality um, that was taking place in Corinth in the church, everybody knew about it but nobody wanted to deal with it. So Paul did. And as a result of that, uh, the majority of the people, he said, you know what? Paul's right. And Titus was able to bring back this report that the majority received the correction and um, did what Paul asked them to do. Paul is addressing here those in the Corinthian church whose attitude towards Paul, if you look at verse 10, was something like this in this uh, chapter. Their attitude is, they say, for his letters, they say, are are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Um, In other words, they're saying, who does this guy Paul think he is anyway? So Paul had to explain to those in the church that as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he has a God-given authority that's not an It's not an issue of being better than them. As a matter of fact, remember it was Paul who referred to himself as the chief of sinners. He says, because I persecuted the church. And that was his own perception of himself. Um, So it's not an issue of Paul being better than them because we're all the same. Good place for an amen. All of sin. Um, but really, it's the issue is but one of God's given authority. I want you to just turn back to 1 Corinthians 12. You're going to be turning quite a bit this morning. And I'm going to ask you to do just that. I, I like you to, when I ask you to turn, I like you to actually do it. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, it's uh, uh, the gifts of the Spirit, how they're in operation in the church. The Bible tells us that the Lord gives whatever he gives he wants to give to a person. But when you get to verse 28, it actually gives the authority over the other when it comes to these gifts. So in verse 28, we read, and God has appointed these in the church, and then it says, first, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. And after that, miracles and gifts of healing, helps, administration, and variety of tongues. And then he goes, are all apostles? And the answer is no. Are all prophets? No. But there's these different gifts, but the point that I'm trying to make is, you can go back to uh, 2 Corinthians 10. 
The reason Paul is writing, especially when we read in verse um, 9, for even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority. So he's dealing with this attitude of a handful that <laughs> they're saying, who does this guy, does he think he's better than we are? And who, who does he think he is anyway? Well, he's an apostle, and he has authority. And a lot of the study this morning is, um, it's not a question of, of um, position. It's, it is a question of position, not one being better than the other. Is everybody tracking with me so far? All right. I'd like to take a moment and explain why I chose the title for this morning's message. Taking every thought into captivity. And the reason for that is you have thoughts that come into your head that are not necessarily from you. Um, When you're tempted, uh, you have to uh, realize, huh, where's that coming from? Is that me thinking that? Or is that the enemy who's thinking that? Or is it the Lord speaking to me? You could have one of three options. It could be your own thoughts. You could be being tempted or you could be being encouraged by the Holy Spirit. But we're to break that thought that's coming in and instead of, I'll use the term knee-jerk reaction, instead of having that sort of an attitude, take it captive for a while and actually think it through. Where's this coming from? Is it me? Is it the Lord? Is it the enemy? So we take it into captivity, we ponder it, and I'll talk more about that a little later. This morning I would like to address authority as it pertains to the family structure and how it's deteriorating to the point where some don't know if they're a man or if they're a woman. To the point that a male named Leah Thomas, says he's a woman. Um, here's his picture. Uh, he's, a, he's a swimmer, um, and I'll just read just a little bit about him. 16 women of the University of Pennsylvania swim team said their transgender teammate, Leah Thomas, I think she should be Thomas Leah myself, should not be allowed to compete in a woman's category, the Washington Post reported. The teammates sent a letter to the University of Ivy League officials asking that they not take legal action against new NCAA rules, which would block Thomas from competing in the 2022 championships, according to the Post. The woman said they supported Thomas's decision to live as a transgender woman but they say the biology of sex is a separate issue from someone's gender identity. And then we got a couple good governors, one's DeSantos in Florida, and we have another good one in Texas. This article says DeSantos proclaims female swimmer as real winner in a race won by a trans athlete. So, excuse the pun, but he trumped him. And uh, this swimmer, if I would go on to, would go on to read, former Governor uh, um, Ron DeSantos, uh, recognized um, Sarasota native Emma Weant as the fastest woman uh, competitor in the NCAA championship 500-yard freestyle race in Tuesday's proclamation. We're doing a proclamation saying that Emma is the best female swimmer in the 500-yard freestyle because she earned that, and we need to stop allowing organizations like the NCAA to perpetrate uh, frauds on the public. DeSanto said, and that's exactly what they're doing. They are putting ideology ahead of opportunity for women athletes. It goes on to say that um, she won the 500 freestyle uh, Thursday, second to uh, 
gender swimmer Leah Thomas, who competed for the University of Pennsylvania's men team for three years before adopting a female identity. So one day he woke up and he says, well, I think I'm a girl today and um, I'm gonna start swimming against women. And as a result, um, we have um, people getting up and deciding if uh, one of the guys at Men's Prayer yesterday said he, uh, or a week before, said he ran into a guy uh, from the Green Bay area that was wearing a, a fox costume, the whole thing. And he demanded to have a kidney litter box put in the bathroom. And the school went ahead and did it. <laughs> that should be funny. <laughs> but it's, it's so sad, it's not funny, right? I mean, just how f- far off have we gotten? And as I'm watching this, I heard um, this week a professor from the University of Chicago is openly um, writing legislation that adults can have sex with a person of any age, any age. And that's what's being taught by professors in some of our universities. So this morning, um, before we go very far, I want to address this from a biblical perspective. It'll make some uncomfortable here online, here and online. And so before we go any farther, we need to get a couple things squared away. And I'd like you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 where I'm going to put this in a form of a question. We read all scriptures given by inspiration of God. I want to underline all. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped in every good work. Now I'm not going to ask for a show of hands but I want you to be honest with yourself as I ask this question. Do you believe this verse? Do you believe that the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is inerrant? Well, what do you mean by inerrant, Dwight? Without fault. That it's profitable. That it's God's word himself. How you just answered that question is gonna weigh in major on this message that I'm about to give this morning. And let me just follow it up with this. Um, I call them pick and choose Christians. You believe the Bible? Yep. All of it? Well, most of it. And um, I call them pick and choose because if, if they have a certain conviction about something and the scripture says something different about that particular issue, then know this. You're wrong <laughs> and the Bible is right. Good place for an Amen. But that's going to be the case this morning because of where I'm headed with with our message. Um, This is not necessarily directed towards non-believers because they don't believe the Bible is the word of God anyway. And they're going to do whatever they want to do. But I see it creeping into the church because churches are compromising like crazy when it comes to the word of God to the point of having gay pastors and women pastors, and we'll get into that issue as we get into our study this morning. But um, I have a responsibility. Um, Pastor teacher was one of the things in the list of, I think it's number three, where I understand when I get up here, I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm not telling you what I think. And you need to know from here on out what's being shared. My job is simply to teach God's word um, at face value, chapter by chapter and verse by verse and believe that God's word is not going to return void. And so that's um, where we're headed. But this is pivotal foundation for our study this morning. Um, This study will cause everyone here and those watching online to bring every thought into captivity. Um, We have certain convictions that may not be biblical and we sort of have what I call a knee-jerk reaction. But pause and let God's word speak 
for itself. I'll tell you who is a really good example of this. Some, some people don't bring anything captive in their thought because they can't stop this. <laughs> it's just on and on and on. And unless you actually interrupt that person and say, can, can I get a word here, edgewise? And um, um, the, James talks a, a lot about the tongue. And um, we are to be, well, we'll go to that scripture in just a, a minute here. But the opposite of that, and um, I want to give you an example of Pastor Chuck Smith. And um, you, you're having a conversation with him. He has this mastered. Because if you would engage in conversation uh, with, with Pastor Chuck, and just say, ask him a simple question, you would not get an immediate answer. He'd look at you. And you could just see the, the wheels turning. And it's, I'm thinking it's going along the lines as, hmm, is there a motive for this question? Um, why is he asking this particular question? Um, what does he want to get out of this particular question? So he's not, after the question is asked, he's just not there. He has paused, taken that thought, brought it into captivity, and then after a couple seconds, sometimes it can get darn awkward because I've had a lot of conversations with Chuck and um, that's just the way he is. But um, we have a saying at Calvary Chapel, it's not so much that's taught, but what's caught. And as we observe Pastor Chuck and how he interacted with people, uh, he, he was that kind of person that didn't give you a quick response because he's weighing it all out. What's the motive? What's the question? Why are you asking me this? He's not saying that to you, but he's thinking it. That's another way of saying bringing every thought into captivity and weigh it out before you speak it out. So this study will primarily look at the feminist movement, beginning with Margaret Sanger, who started Planned Parenthood. And um, I'm going to be addressing... I think what the root of the cause and the problem is. So we're actually going to have a Bible study on the feminist movement and how it has infiltrated in parts of the church, the effect that it has had on our culture and within the church. And what does God's word have to say about it? Not my opinion, but what are the rule, roles of male and a female. Um, if you don't know, if you're a male or you're a female, then you're pretty dumb. <laughs> it's not that hard to figure out, guys. So, again, uh, unless I'm, again, misunderstood, we need to turn to Galatians chapter 3. Just so we're clear on a couple issues here. Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 tells us that there's need, if you're a Christian, there's then neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What is this verse telling us? that we're all equal in the eyes of God. So don't, I don't want the impression given that um, um, we're having a Bible study against women because the scriptures teach that men and women are both the same in Christ. They are equal. However, having said that, we as believers are equal and yet the Lord has clearly established an order of authority. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're looking at verses 1 through 9. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ, verse 1. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is man. 
and the head of Christ is God. Now we're getting into the area of praying and uh, that will be addressed, but I'll come back to, to um, the order here in a bit. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, uh, dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be um, shaved. But if it is shameful for a woman to be uh, shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is in the image of and the glory of God, but the woman is in the glory of man. It says, for man is not from woman, but woman is from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman was created for man. For this reason ought to have a symbol of authority on his head because of the angels. Interesting verse. Um, This next part here uh, is interesting to me, and I'll tell you a story after I get done reading it, but it's in the context of when you pray to the Lord and acknowledging that you have somebody over you. If you're a male, then it's Christ. If you're a female, then it's your, it's your husband. For the woman, was verse 12, for the woman was not from the man. Even so, the man also through the woman, but all things are from God. And then he asks for, um, judge for yourself. Judge among yourself. Is it prop, uh, proper for a woman to pray to God with her head covered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her. Her hair is given to her for a covering. So we're talking about prayer here. Uh, when I um, first started going to church, uh, Assembly of God down in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, I had real long hair. And after this, everybody was pretty much in suits and ties and, and um, dressed very, very nicely. And I had this one guy come up to me after a Sunday morning service and he says, you know, you know what the Bible says, don't you, about long hair? And he opens his Bible and he says right here, it says right here, doesn't nature tell you itself that if a man has long hair, uh, it's, it's a dishonor to him? And he gave me one of those higher, holier-than-thou looks. And I said, yeah, but did you read the next two verses? He goes, what do you mean? <laughs> well, I said, keep reading. So we get to verse 16. But if anyone seems to be contentious, and he was, then we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Turned around and walked away. <laughs> Uh, Love Song has a great song. Long hair, short hair, some coats and ties. Looking past the hair, straight into the eyes. It's not a matter of how long your hair is. Somebody say amen. If you're bald, we'll pray for you. You know, you're just just making the Lord's job a whole lot easier when he says, I I can count the the hairs on your head. You're you're easy picking. (laughs) So it's... That is, it's a matter of the heart, not a matter of the outward appearance. This is, um, uh, Judy and I watched um, um, a movie of uh, the Jesus movement. It was a love, love song concert, actually. And it showed all the hippies getting saved and getting baptized at Pirate's Cove in uh, Southern California. I mean, by the thousands. Front cover, Newsweek. Um, a genuine move of the Holy Spirit and a lot of a lot of lost hippies met Jesus and they were never ever the same again. And so when we read this verse here about 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 9, we have not better than, there's neither male nor female. We're one in Christ, that's not an issue. But having said that, there's clearly what's taught in the Bible an order of authority. Now, in Paul's situation, his problem was saying, look, I have authority to talk to you rebel rousers that think I'm incompetent and I can't speak well or I can't do this and I can't do that. 
I gotta take this to task. Um, I can't let this attitude penetrate the church, so I'm gonna deal with it right now. If I have to be bold and do it, I'll be bold, I don't care. I'd rather do it in a kind, gentle way and you just listen and say, if that's what God's word said, you're an apostle. You're top of the list. And if you're saying it, then we're doing it. But there were those that had the attitude, who does this guy think he is? And they did not understand. Um, remember that, that there's problems that the church of Corinth were really twofold. They had way too much money. Remember 700,000 people? And two-thirds of the 700,000 were slaves. So they were used to giving orders, not used to receiving orders. And I think that's where a lot of the problem probably came in with this, this group. Um, so we read, we need to go back to the beginning, to the very beginning, lest we have some misunderstandings too. All the way to the book of Genesis chapter two. And we have in Genesis two, picking it up, um, of course, Adam is in the garden. He was formed from the dust of the earth as were all the animals. Um, the Lord told Adam to name all the animals. So whatever animal was brought to him, Adam named him. But then we read, this is before Eve was even created. Now Adam came from the dust of the earth, but not Eve. We read in verse 18, after Adam got done naming all the animals, and chapter 2, 18, and the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'm gonna make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them and whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to the cattle, to the birds of the air, every breast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from him, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they will become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and the wife, and they were not ashamed. So we find um, even in the creation there's a difference. Woman came out of the man, and God created Adam out of the dust of the earth. Now we're introduced to our adversary. Uh, first seven verses of chapter three. Now the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we can eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, oh, you're not gonna die, because God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes are gonna be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And she was deceived. And because of the deception that was there, perpetrated by none other than the devil himself, in men's prayer we're in Ezekiel. And we actually read the portion of scripture um, that talks about, it starts out in a chapter talking about the prince of Tyre. And then when you get to, I think it's verse 10, it changes from prince to the king of Tyre. In other words, the, the power over the prince. And then it goes on to talk about Lucifer, his characteristics. Weren't you the one that was in the garden? Walked among the fiery stones, covered with all kinds of precious jewels. 
evidently had parts of his body that were musical instruments. And we're reading all this, we were just reading it yesterday morning. And so the deception here doesn't get into a lot of detail, but the bottom line is he lied, she believed it, and she ate it. But she was deceived into doing it. Verse six, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she ate of the fruit, she also gave to her husband, and he ate, and their eyes were both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together to make themselves coverings. Dwight's conjecture. If you're naked already, and you want to be clothed, and uh, you eat of uh, this fruit, and all of a sudden you realize you're naked. Here's what I think is going on. I think they were covered in light. I think they had a light covering on them. And I think when Adam saw Eve coming home from the grocery store and this piece of fruit in her hand, everybody says it's an apple, we don't know what it was, just says the fruit of the tree. That he took one look at her and go, you're different, honey. (laughs) And she gives it to him. Well, there's a difference here. Eve was deceived. Adam was not. Adam, of his own free will, ate of that fruit when he knew God said, don't do it, lest you die. And whatever eternal life was in them was now taken away. And so they're aware of their nakedness, and um, they sewed fig leaves together and, uh, to cover the nakedness. Now, consequences for sin. The consequences here um, are in verse 16 to the woman. He says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Any gals here who have babies could probably testify to that truth. Uh, Your desire shall be towards your husband and he shall rule over you. There's two trains of thought here. One is what's being said there, that the desire for the woman, um, her desire would be towards her husband. Another translation has it, have a desire to rule over her husband. And that makes the next verse make sense because it says that um, he shall rule over rule over you, you won't be ruling over him. The consequences for the man are in verse 17. To Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of the tree, cursed is the ground. It says in Romans 8 that the ground, the earth groans, waiting for the redemption of the sons of God. And... um, It was cursed here. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Most of history up till this last generation was um, you worked the land. You were farmers. And um, it was a long day. Both my grandparents were farmers and I grew up watching watching them bring in the cows, milk the cows, do baling of hay and, and it's hard work. Matter of fact, my grandpa got struck by lightning bailing hay in 1956. And they went under the wagon and lightning struck and um, that's how quick you can be taken out. And, um, but the idea here is, mom used to tell me that she used to sit on this wagon that was right off the ground and they would walk behind it and pick up the stones because after their grandpa cleared out the forest, then they had to pick up the stones. And that's hard work, and you sweat. And that's what's said here. You're gonna have to work the land, and it's gonna be hard work, and um, bring forth thorns and thistles. In other words, if there were roses in in the Garden of Eden, uh, before the fall, they didn't have any thorns on them. But after the fall, all of a sudden, there's thorns on the roses. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth. You will eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. 
So I'm going to be referring to this several times this morning. It is so well written I can't even tell you. It's called The the Feminine Mistake. Okay, it's written by Mary Danielson. And I'll be quoting from it at least two or three times this morning. Uh, They will be available to you after the study. You can pick one up if you would like on the way out. But here's what Mary has to say about the garden and her her track. So what have the genders learned from Eve's miscalculation of her creator? Not a whole lot, apparently, because we know our sin-soaked world is on a collision course with judgment for their role in rejecting God's claim on their lives. The role of feminism in the state of the world can hardly be understated both socially and politically. It has changed our world radically, again, especially in Western countries. This is important. In countries where Christianity is minimally represented, if at all, it is not hard to document the mistreatment of women. So we can also see that people, if people lived under the headship of Christ, these things would not be so because nothing, this is important, elevates the station of a woman like Christianity. But I disagree a bit. So what exactly do people think feminism is? I'm gonna read just a little bit. Um, We have it in track form. This is also the feminine called mistake, playing words there, on uh, just what we think feminism really is. So, what do people think feminism is? I'm reading from a paragraph from the opening of her track. What is feminism? And what isn't feminism? Is it about voting? Is it about a cubicle in the workplace? or a corner office with an expense account? Is it about ability or intelligence or assertiveness? It is none of those, broadly speaking. To say that 50% of the population is too mentally challenged to pick a presidential candidate, uh, inherit land, or be an administrator, a doctor, a lawyer, or a business is short-sighted and... uh, Pettently false. Women do constitute a large portion of the world's brain trust. If all the women dropped out of the marketplace or stopped contributing to the culture in some form, imagine how many jobs would go undone in the world. Jobs that women are clearly capable of doing well and much needed in a world of billions of inhabitants. Our world is far more complex than it was even a generation ago and men are not lining up to do basic administration work, and they never have or likely will because they are needed for many other vocations better suited to their God-given temperament and ability. In addition, because of the highly inflated dollar, many families simply cannot get by on one income anymore. There's nothing wrong with wanting their kids to go to college or buying a house or taking a family trip. Uh, things our parents were able to do much readily because employment structures were different and their money was worth something then. Uh, the current financial climate often leaves many women and families with little choice. A quick study of inflation since 1970 would prove that the dollar buys almost nothing anymore. Um, my wife went grocery shopping yesterday and I look how much she spent and I said, do you know how much money you spent? And she says, do you know how much groceries have gone up? And uh, you know what I'm talking about because you're going, uh, gas went up 40 cents this week from a, from a week ago. And it's not gonna be going any other direction anytime soon. Um, and since not every woman marries, and has to support herself, the unemployment issue in today's world, at least, cannot be reduced to a feminist view, issue. Within marriage, it's a matter between a husband and a wife, whether they will make it on one income or not. And each case is different due to 
uh, a number of factors. So while the lines regarding this may be blurry for some of perhaps a different generation, for our purpose today, none of the above is truly a feminist issue. Even if you don't agree with me, at this point, there is a form of feminism uh, that is doing plenty of damage on its own and has nothing to do with playing, paying a mortgage. Money is a secondary issue to the spiritual aspect and the battle that affects us all. A long, long time ago, in a garden far, far away, God saw fit to make the first he and she in his own image. First came Adam, and then out of his very flesh came Eve. The reason for Eve was to be a helper for Adam, a companion. God set the rules for life in the garden, but things went south at some point, and every human who lives or ever lived is, was, subject to the rule God made, whether they believe it or not. You might say, well, I don't believe that. Well, that doesn't change the fact that it's true. Good place for an amen. I'll go on and just quote one more paragraph here. If you ask them, the average person would probably say that it's about being equal to men on any level we choose. The mantra we have heard for decades and continue to hear frequently in social propaganda aimed at young girls is, you can be anything you want. Now, who would be opposed to any of that on a basic achievement level? We are expected to believe from such promo materials that these brave, enlightened women are fighting on behalf of their sisterhood all around the world, youth included. But the fact is, they are absolutely not doing any such thing. And no one can be anything they want because life just doesn't work that way. Well said. It's far too complex. But it's all about how you sell an issue that makes people agree or disagree about the worthiness of a cause. Who doesn't want the best for their mothers, wives, sisters, daughters? The Bible says if a man hates his wife, he hates his own flesh. And no one hates uh, themselves, uh, but isn't the definition of equal, equality important here? Does it mean the same or different with a, a side of entitlement? Or what exactly? And um, these are questions that um, need to be answered. Okay, so you have the world's perspective. Why don't you turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 12. We're just going to look at two verses there. Romans chapter 12. We have to understand that we can influence society or society can influence us. I've just given you uh, what I see as a critical issue in the society we live today and how it affects us. So who and what should be affecting us and telling us what to do and how to do it? The answer, God's word, God's word. So what does God's word have to say about this? Romans 12, verse one. The word beseech there means I beg you. I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He died for you. He's given you eternal life. You don't deserve it. It's a gift. So because he's done that, don't you think it's a reasonable thing to give your life back to him and say, here I am? Then what? Well, verse two. And do not be conformed to this world. Conformed, changed. And be, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God on any issue. What is your take on this, Dwight? What's your take on this, John? Well, it all depends what God's word has to say about it. In my opinion, does it matter? I have people come in the office every week. They say, hey, Dwight, what, what do you think about this? And the first thing I'm telling them, you don't want to know what I think about this. What you want to know, and I hope the only reason you're here is to ask the question, what does God's word have to say about this particular issue? And uh, that's the only acceptable answer. I don't want your opinion. It's not that I don't like you or disrespect you or any of, the, any of that. 
but you don't want how I feel about something. But what does God's word have to say it? Um, let's move ahead here. That's what uh, the world's view of feminism is versus God's word. I'll just quote First uh, John 4 here because we live in a world. We've been called out of it. It says, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So let's get down to the um, bottom line. What does God's word say about the attributes and characteristics of a Christian woman? If you would, please turn with me to Titus chapter 2, 1 through 5. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith and love and patience, that the older woman, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish, this is a good one, the young woman, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers. I think Mary did a good job in pointing out that in the generation that I grew up in, that mom was usually always at home. When you got home from school, she was there. And I remember the day that uh, she took a real estate job, and I didn't like it. (laughs) I wanted my mom to be home to, to say hi to me when I walked through the door. And say, are you hungry? You want some cookies or or whatever? Uh, That's what I grew up with. But we have to admit the culture's changed. And it's very difficult in our times today. I think Mary did an excellent job laying it out. It's just practical that a lot of families can't pull this off. They need two workers outside. Um, So when it talks about being a homemaker, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who uh, is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say to you. This is what Paul was doing with the Corinthians. Um, He was saying, this is what the scripture says on this particular issue. I have the authority to say it, and I expect you to follow through with it, and don't spread this around in the church because that's not biblical, period. And he's using his apostleship authority. Okay, I'm gonna quote again uh, from Mary's track, hoping uh, it'll stir you up to pick it up on the way out. As a woman... I'm offended by the notion that we need to homogenize the genders because then why should I even desire to be excellent at anything? Women are made in God's image and by nature are the gentler sex, the nurturers, and are creative in their own ways and means. There's an old saying, whatever you give a woman, she'll make it greater. If you give her DNA, she'll give you a baby. If you give her a house, she'll make it a home. If you give her groceries, she'll make you a meal. If you give her a smile, she'll give you your heart. We really do want to be the best mates we can and need space to learn that, just as a man needs room to learn to love their wives and be the spiritual head of their home. It's not intuitive because, again, we are selfish sinners and with our own motives and different. Uh, when comparing equality versus different or unique, then there's one very telling way that women show they don't understand this concept. Example, women pastors. Yep, I said it out loud. When women become leaders in the church, taking a position of authority over men because they believe they have the same gifts and therefore deserve an equal opportunity, faulty reasoning, uh, not based on truth, in parentheses. They show they don't understand the difference between callings and giftings between authority and submission. 
equal versus unique in the picture of Christ and the church. It's not the woman, it's not that woman are the only ones deceived. Men can teach false doctrine also and do, but that's not the issue at all. The woman was deceived first. The Bible clearly states that she is not to be in an authoritative position in the pulpit. She quotes First Timothy 2. We'll be going there shortly. It's not ambiguous in the scripture. I personally would be terribly uncomfortable sitting under a woman who is uh, teaching as a man. And it's true that women find it much easier to latch on to false teachers, especially if these teachers are women themselves. Think about it. When presented with a celebrity female in Christian circles, women tend to invest themselves totally into these women teachings. Uh, Their image, their perceived heart for the Lord, trusting them and becoming part of their circle of influence. They accept their position without looking into whether they are on solid biblical doctrinal grounds, but tend to go on how eloquent the teacher sounded. Their radar is down because of how it makes them feel. They often develop a bond because they are convinced that this strong woman who supposedly understands deep spiritual truth has something they need desperately. They hang on every word to make sure no one is holding out on them. Remind you of Genesis? If you think I'm overstating this, ever try to tell Joyce Meyer or Beth Moore, yes, I named names, Adherent to their idol is a heretic. If you do, be ready to incur their raft. I have experienced this from time to time. Women seem to lose their will when it comes to uh, divesting themselves of celebrity female teachers with bad doctrine. They will consider leaving a church if they are challenged on it. In addition, I think pastors not calling out the Moors and the Myers don't help much. And when discerning church people go to their pastors about Beth Moore courses in their women's ministry, they are told not to rock the boat. It's a particular grip these false teachers have on people, and there is a way too much tiptoeing around out there, and no one is offended, male or female. I thought I would Google. I wonder who the first woman pastor was. So I Googled it. Who was the first woman pastor? Uh, Came down to two. Uh, I'll just read one. Her name is Louisa Woolsey. Uh, She lived um, uh, from the 1800s, late 1800s into the early 1900s. At the age of 12, I'm looking at her picture here, um, uh, Woolsey was impressed to labor in the vineyard of the Lord seeing the harvest was truly plenteous and the laborers few. When she married, she hoped her husband would become a preacher, but he wasn't inclined to do so. Her own call became stronger and stronger. Catch this part. She read through her Bible, marking every place a woman is mentioned. At the end of her study, she was convinced of the fact that God, being no respecter of persons, had not overlooked the woman, but he had a great work for them to do. In the absence of a pastor one Sunday, Woolsey preached her first sermon. After that, her calling became irresistible. She was ordained in 1889 at a Presbyterian church, becoming the first woman ordained as ministry, the first woman in the Reformed tradition of America. For the next 30 years, her ordination was a great source of controversy within a Kentucky synagogue. She wrote a defense of woman ordination entitled, Shall Woman Preach? Her ministry was marked and, uh, t- and uh, was faced with uh, harsh dis- discrimination. What does, in other words, what I'm saying here, there was no women pastors for the first 1900 years of Christianity. The question is why? 
And the answer is because it's not biblical. She wrote every place the woman's down and she said she came to the conclusion, well, she's reading a different Bible than I am because just the scriptures that we talked about this morning make it perfectly clear that it's not biblical. Here at Calvary Chapel, unless I be misunderstood again, Calvary Chapel Appleton, we have women teachers. Donna Rathke is, is heads up the women's ministry with Ruth Christian. They tag team in teaching women's studies. Uh, Mary Danielson gets up here and gives um, prophecy updates. Um, she has um, uh, her own radio program called Two Minute Warnings on radio. She's authored several books. I'm not down at all about women teachers. We encourage them. They are, some of them are very gifted, a lot of them in, in our own Sunday school. But that's a different issue than standing up here where I um, put in initials every week that when I'm up here, I'm to speak as the oracle of God with authority because it's God's word. I really have nothing to do with it. But I take the attitude that God is speaking himself through his word and I want to speak with that authority because that's what the way the scriptures lay it out. Um, now, a word to the men before we close. In every wedding, I've done these scriptures. I've done a lot of weddings over the last 40 plus years. And I'll say there's one rule for the man, one rule for the woman. For the woman, it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also head of the church. He's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as a church is subject to Christ, so let their wives be to their own husbands in everything. Okay, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one has ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it, feeds it, cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bone. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then just when you think you understand what he's talking about here, he says, but this is a great mystery. Huh, what great mystery? He says, I'm speaking about Christ and his church, and he's relating it to a husband and wife relationship. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular shall love his own wife as himself, And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Did I say that was the last scripture? You know better, don't you? (laughs) We will close with Proverbs chapter 31. Please turn to the book of Proverbs. Our world today, and we need to be salt and light. We need to be the one who are doing the influencing and not the other way around. Santos just got up and repelled Disneyland's assertment that it's independent apart from the state of Florida. You gotta like this guy. They, Disney, I used to love him that, what can I say? And uh, it was so, seemed so innocent and everything. And um, yet today, they're the ones that owned ABC. And, um, They're the ones that are setting the gay agenda, transgender agenda, probably more than anybody else. So what does the Santos do? He writes it down. Says, no, you're not doing that. Not in the state of Florida. You're in the state of Florida. And I'm repealing that. You're not independent. You're not out on an island by yourself. I'm the governor here. And what do we have? Is Walt Disney any different than uh, uh, DeSantos? No, they're both sinners. And... um, their new president of Disneyland's a female. She's a lesbian. I don't know if you knew that or not. And they want, to, this battle will not be over. I guarantee you, mark my words. They're gonna fight tooth and nail on this thing. 
and they have the money to try to do it. But God bless the Santos, and boy, do we need more men like that. Now I'm speaking to you as men. I'm asking you to do the same thing. I want you to stand up and be a man. I want you to be the head of your household. I'm not talking about being authoritative. The Bible says we're to discuss things, talk things over, and come to a conclusion. But sometimes you don't see what 100% eye to eye, and if it gets to that point, then dad, you gotta make a call. And the wife has gotta be in a place where the Bible said he's my head, and I'm to submit to him in everything. But he's to love me as Christ loved the church. That's a tough one, guys, to love your wife as Jesus loves his church. Greater love is no man than this that a man had laid down his life for his wife or a friend or anybody else. But as far as the church and what I'm talking about this morning, I'm only concerned about our flock here, Calvary Chapel of Appleton. I want to be very, very clear where we stand in this issue on feminism, of women pastors, and men being men and women being women. That should be a (laughs) no-brainer for people to come up with. Everybody here knows somebody who is in the gay, lesbian culture. I had a family member. Um, the saddest person in our family. And um, so sad that he ended up taking his own life. I'm getting off course. This is not my notes. I'm speaking from the heart now on a personal issue. But he's still my brother. And uh, mom and dad and the rest of the family prayed for him every single day of his life. And he chose that lifestyle at an early age. And... um, um, I can't think about it too much because I know too much about this book and the consequences that go along with it. When you read Romans chapter one, it lays out that this new sexuality that's being promoted with lesbianism and gayism is clearly renounced by the apostle Paul in Romans chapter one and says that um, he gave them over. Oh, he struggled with them. He tried to persuade them. But he says, this is an abomination. And then in chapter 6, verse 9, it says, don't be deceived. If you're any one of these people, and it puts gay and lesbians in there, you're not going to heaven. So let me ask you a question. What's the most loving thing you can do for a person that you know who lives this lifestyle? Do you love them enough to tell them the truth? Yeah, but they might not like me after that. Well, Jesus said, if the world loves you, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. I told them a whole lot of things they did not want to hear. And um, I'll leave that at that, and let's see if we can, um, as we're talking about, especially the ladies this morning, just just as Paul had to address those in Corinth who didn't want his authority over them, today there's a need to get back to what God's word says. We are to be salt and light. We are to be the ones doing the influencing, not the other way around. So if you're in Proverbs 31, look at verse 10. Well, who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. So he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She's like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maid servants. She considers the field and buys it. Uh, from her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good. And her lamp does not go up by night. She stretches out her hand to the uh, distaff and her hands uh, hold the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hand to the needy and she's not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments, sells them, supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor 
or her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is a law of kindness. She watches over the waves of her household, the ways of her household, and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Amen? Let's stand up and we'll pray. Lord, as we make our way through the book of Corinthians, there were times Paul got up and had to do things he really didn't want to do. He had to take his God-given authority as an apostle and deal with some rebels that didn't want to hear what he had to say. And um, we just pray as uh, we look at our society today, our culture, how it's declining, especially morally, um, that we take the attitude, as for me and my house, as Joshua said, we're gonna serve the Lord. And we're gonna believe the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. And Lord, if we have conflict in our hearts with what might be in contrast to what your word said, help us understand, 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is given by inspiration of you, and that the word of God is always right, and we're the ones that are wrong if we're not lined up with it. So I know this was a rather straightforward study this morning, but I'm not going to dance around a chapter in the Bible that that deals with these issues. I pray for the men um, in our fellowship, that they would take on that role as as being men, being man's man. And um, we'll just leave it at that, Father. I pray your word would go out. And you go before the rest of this day, the rest of this week. We pray for the conference coming up. And we always know that there's going to be warfare because whenever we have a conference, there is warfare. We pray that you'd set a hedge of protection about us and that uh, you'd be glorified through it all and the people that come would be better equipped with what's happening in our world today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.